Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, this is your word. And we need you. We need you to understand your word. We need you to reveal the hidden sins that are in our hearts. We need you to confess those sins, and we need you to seek righteousness, fleeing those sins and running to you. So, Lord God, would you send your Holy Spirit among us this morning that we might grow more like your Son, that we might see him clearly as you have revealed him in this portion of your word. Amen. If God spoke to you, what would it sound like? When you hear the expression, the word of God, what do you think about? What is the image in your mind? Is it the Bible? Is it someone like me standing up at front talking about things? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you feel when you hear the word of God? And most importantly, if you were to stop and listen to that word, how would you respond? In Psalm 19, David describes God's word in three ways. He describes God's word as is revealed to us in creation. He describes God's word in a book written down in the law. And he describes God's word in a person. God's word in creation 
it calls us to joy. And God's word in the Bible, it calls us to repentance. And God's word in a person, it calls us to faith. And so as we look at God's word in creation in the Bible and in a person, I ask you to think, to listen, to feel, how is God asking you to respond? Now, I am a teacher, and so I cannot but help myself. I like equipping people. I like giving them tools. And so even before looking at Psalm 19, I'd like to give you all two different tools, two things that will help you understand Psalm 19 better. The first is, is, a, is a term that you may have run across if you've read any commentaries or books about the Psalms. It's called Hebrew parallelism, or you have poetic parallelism. See, parallelism in the Bible is essentially kind of like the trademark, the, the identifying feature of poetry. Much like in English where we use rhyme and meter, and I say, aha, this must be poetry, I hear a rhyme. When we see parallelism, we should be thinking to ourselves, aha, this must be poetry. What is parallelism? Well, there's a really great example in the very first verse of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. See, parallelism in poetry, it thinks about or it shows us one thing, but from different angles. Most of the time, we're thinking about one thing from two different angles, as two different vantage points, that we might better understand that. What is verse 1 looking at? What's the image there? It's the Word of God, isn't it? The heavens declare. The sky is speaking. The sky proclaims. And what are they proclaiming? The glory of God. Creation itself is revealing God to us. And how does it do it? Through what he has made, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You see, this, this is parallelism. As we, we read the Psalms, we need to slow down and think, what, what is it that God is trying to show us? And here, what God is trying to show us is himself. That's the first tool I wanted to give you. The second one is two words that you may have run across. Preachers might have said them. You might have read them in some book. And they are these two words, general revelation and special revelation. What's that? General revelation is everything in the creation. It is how God reveals himself to us in everything but the Bible. Some people have had experiences where it's a deeply emotional event sitting on the beach looking at the sunrise. That's general revelation. And according to Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, God speaks through his creation. But there's also special revelation. And special revelation, spoiler alert, it's special. It's unique. You can't find it anywhere else. Special revelation, as David says in verse 7, it's the law of the Lord. It's perfect. It's his precepts. They're right. 
special revelation is what we find when we read the Bible. It is the word of God written down for us. You might say that, that as we look at Psalm 19, we can see general revelation in verses 1 to 6 and special revelation in verses 7 to 14. It's kind of like God's word in biblical parallelism. <laughs> that we are looking at God's revelation of himself, and he starts at the most broad, general of ideas. The heavens declare the glory of God. But what we'll see as we continue to move down through this psalm is that he is narrowing his focus, not just God revealed in the beauty of creation, but God revealed as my rock and my redeemer. So how do we get there? How do we get from looking at a sunrise to declaring and confessing and affirming that God is my rock and my redeemer. We do it, we get there through his word. And that is what we are speaking about today, that God has revealed himself to us. How are you going to respond? God has revealed himself in his creation. Look at the first three verses of it, of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. When I was in university... I was a double major in biblical studies and philosophy. And for one semester, maybe half a semester, actually it was, it was like two weeks. For, for, for two weeks in the, the, my second year of university, I thought actually what I want to do is do a triple major. And so I added a very easy uh, class, uh, cellular biology. I was going to be a triple major in biblical studies, philosophy, and cellular biology. I, and yet when it came to the semester where I had to take cellular biology, Greek, and the history of philosophy all in the same day, I thought better of my decision. <laughs> So I love biology. I do not have a degree in it. I love biology, specifically cellular biology. Um, and what I can tell you from those two weeks of being a triple major is this. Creation pours out knowledge. It is like a flood that we can look at a cell and there is more information in that one cell than can be experienced and known in a lifetime. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. Creation itself is declaring the glory of God and proclaiming his works. This message is poured out to us whether we study the Bible, whether we study philosophy or biology, uh, or a three, we hear this one message. There is a God, 
and we are his creation. Again, in my short attempt at triple major identity, uh, I read a quote by a man named Francis Crick. Francis Crick was part of the the team that discovered or or, uh, identified the double helix of the DNA. And he said this, he said, biology is the study of things that appear to have been designed, but we must remind ourselves that it evolved. Why do we do that? Why is it that in the face of the proclamation, the flood of the knowledge of God, we try to shut it off, we turn off the hose, we close our mind to the knowledge? Why was Mr. Crick so dedicated to blocking the knowledge of God flooding at him? Well, later we'll find that there's some things that are uncomfortable about the knowledge of God. It reveals our sin. But I think what Psalm 19 is telling us in these first three verses is this, is that once you hear this voice, you are commanded, you are obligated, your response must be to reflect his glory. Did you catch it? In the parallelism in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What is the handiwork of God? What are the things that he has made? Well, of course, it's the, the, the creation, it's the trees, it's the sunrise, it's the stars, but it's you, it's me. We are the handiwork of God. And so we, like the sunrise, have a duty to respond by proclaiming the glory of God. God is expressing himself. Verse 4 says, The voice goes out through all the world. God is speaking. We often talk about God's expression in general revelation with the analogy of art. As we express ourselves through art, God has expressed himself through the things that he has made. Speaking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago about general revelation, and I told him I was going to steal this quote. A friend said, all art is God's art. God is expressing himself through all of creation. You know, I love art. Um, Not especially music, mostly because I have no musical talent whatsoever. I mean, okay, apart from a lack of pitch, no sense of rhythm, and no ability to play any musical instrument, I'd be a great musical artist. Um, but my wife tells me those are important, so I, I, I stick to poetry. That's, that's what I love. One of the first poems I memorized was a poem by Emily Dickinson. It's a poem called, I'm Nobody. Let me read it for you. I'm a nobody. Who are you? Are you nobody too? Then there's a pair of us. Don't tell. They'd advertise, you know. How dreary to be somebody. How public like a frog. To tell the name, to tell one's name, the live long June, 
to an admiring bog. I love it. You know, I'm not 100% sure what Emily means by public like a frog or why popularity is like a bog. I'm not 100% sure what she means by everything she says, but I love it. Maybe that's the reaction you've had to God's creation. As you've looked out upon God's art, God's expression, have you said, wow, I'm not really 100% sure what it means, but I love it. Have you had that thought as, as, you've, as you've looked at the sunrise? Have you thought, held that, had that thought while you read a biology textbook about cells? I'm not really sure what it's all supposed to mean, but I really like it. Well, Psalm 19 tells us what it's supposed to mean. He says that creation, the sunrise specifically, is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. Like a strong man, he runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuits to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What is David telling us about God's creation? What is David telling us about the meaning of the sunrise? He said it is the expression of God's love, like a young man preparing to get ready, preparing to be married, bursts out of the room, having prepared himself, he bursts out ready to meet his bride. That God's expression of himself, it's his love, it's his joy in his creation. Paul in Ephesians 5 tells us this about God's love. He compares it to love of, between a, of a husband towards his wife. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The word of God reveals who he is. And it reveals his emotion, his heart for his creation, the joy he has over what he has made. That is the sunrise, that is the beauty that we see in the parks around Ottawa. And it is you. You, the works of his hands, are his expression of his joy and love. So how should you respond to that? I think you should respond in the way that this art calls us to respond, as the sunrise calls us to respond with joy, and I ask you to do the same. As you fulfill or seek to reflect the glory of God in his creation, do so with joy knowing that there is a creator, that we are his creation, and we have been made for him. So if we get all that from just creation, from a sunrise, why do we need the Bible? Or put it another way, what's special about Christianity? 
if we can see and know God's love just by creation. In fact, you might have heard that, that question before. Christianity is all well and good for you, but, but this religion over here, this philosophy, this culture, that's what works for me. That's how I experience God. Is that what Psalm 19 is telling us? That that's actually okay? That, that that's sufficient to know God? Well, in some ways, the Bible, Christianity, is a lot like creation. Special revelation has things that are similar to general revelation. Look at verse 8, the second half of verse 8. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. I'm sorry, beginning of verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That same joy that we find in looking at the sunrise, we find it in the Word of God. Or verse 10. It is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The Word of God is beautiful, desirable, appealing. But what verses 7 to 11 tell us that verses 1 to 6 do not is the difference between everything. Look at verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You will not gain wisdom by looking at a sunrise. You will not find the answer to your hard decisions about life, what to do with your children, how's the best 401k. You will not find the, the answers to your decisions in creation. Wisdom comes from the Word of God. The commandments of the law, Lord, are pure, enlightening the eyes. There is knowledge in creation, but the knowledge that will change your life is not found there. The true light for our eyes will only ever be found in God's word. Verse 11, moreover by them is your servant ward warned, in keeping them there is great reward. We will not, as a society, be able to determine right from wrong apart from the Word of God. We see that, don't we? As we look at our society, we are so divided over what is right and what is wrong. Most of the times we can't even figure out where to begin the debate on right and wrong. But the Word of God warns us about the wrong, and it rewards us, it guides us in right actions. These verses give us six facts about God's word. Verse 7, they tell us that God's word is perfect. It gives life. The idea of God's word being perfect is this, this, this focus on justice God's word is blameless, some versions might read. If you are looking for a system of ethics that promotes life in our city, 
It's not found anywhere else. Some people might try. Some religions have a good base. But it is the word of God that promotes, that gives life. It revives the soul because God's word is perfect. God's word is reliable. It is sure. This is the Hebrew word from which we we end our prayers. As we end our prayers, we say amen. It's the Hebrew word right here for, for reliable. It means I believe it. I trust it. You know, as David is writing this psalm, he is a man of many mistakes. He was not entirely trustworthy. And yet what he says is, though I am full of mistakes, though I am faithless, God's word is faithful. Even as I stand here teaching God's word, I am not the reliable thing. I will certainly make a mistake. Maybe in this sermon, most likely in this sermon. But God's word is sure, is reliable, it is amen. God's word is just, it is right, it gives joy. Remember, Hebrew parallelism likes to repeat itself. And so we've already seen that God's word is perfect and gives life, and now we see that God's word is just and gives joy. See how similar those two words are? In fact, blameless has this, this, this idea of being innocent, and, and justice has the idea of, well, being just, being declared not in the wrong. But look at the difference between verse 7 and verse 8. The Lord's law is perfect, it gives life, and the Lord's law is just, and it gives joy. Isn't that good news? That the life that God gives through his word is not just life. It is joyful life. As we, his creation, seek to obey him through his word, God has put down these laws, these precepts, to give us joy. God's word is pure. It's clean. If you've read any of the Old Testament law books, Leviticus, Numbers, you you hear a lot about cleanliness. Essentially, cleanliness in the Old Testament was this idea of setting aside these things for God. It was dedicated. And so as God's word is pure, It endures forever. It gives us stability. It gives us wisdom. It gives us discernment. These things are dedicated. Well, how do you know? Which ones are these things? What in my life ought I be dedicating to God? And what other things should I be considering unclean and trying to avoid? Well, that's wisdom, isn't it? the ability to discern our actions. One of the best examples of biblical wisdom is Boaz. Boaz uh, is the man who marries Ruth in the book of Ruth. And while while Ruth is this 
example of, of faithfulness, of, of uh, a wisdom of a woman who, who leaves her foreign land and comes into the covenant family of God, Boaz is likewise called a man of valor, a man of virtue and strength. He gives us an example of wisdom. And what's Boaz's wisdom like? Well, in chapter 4 of Ruth, we read this discussion between Boaz and another man. Both of them are trying to decide, should we marry Ruth and take care of her family? The man who actually has the greater right, the legal obligation to marry Ruth, he says, no, I, I, I don't want to. And why not? Because he's seeking to protect his own inheritance, his own livelihood. But what's remarkable is that Boaz risks his good, his livelihood, his possessions to show compassion to a poor foreign widow. And his name is written in the genealogy of the king of Israel. And the man who sought to protect his own goods, his name is forgotten. It's not just that you don't remember the na man, name of the man in chapter 4 of Ruth. It's that it was never mentioned. God's word is clean. It grants wisdom. It grants discernment about what is wise action. And sometimes wise action is risky. Finally, God's word is true. It gives righteousness. Maybe that's the question you have this morning as you come into church. Maybe this is the first time you've come to church or the first time in a while, and you're not entirely sure this is all true. You've been listening to this sermon, you've been singing the songs, and we are saying a lot of things about God's word, and you're not sure if it's true. In fact, a few weeks ago, my son came up to me and he asked me, Dad, how do I know that God is true? How do I know he's real? Psalm 19 is encouraging us that God's word is true. David does not go into specific doubts that you might have. But if those doubts are on your heart this morning, I'd first encourage you to look to David, hear him encourage you that God's word is true, and then I'd recommend go to one of the elders here. Come talk to me after service. Go get coffee with Ben when he gets back. We'd love to hear about your doubts. We'd love to encourage you and point you to the truth of God's word. But that is what David is seeking to do in this final truth about God's word. It is true. It is precious. Whatever it is you're seeking, gold, honey, I like honey, but, but I don't know what, what it is you're seeking after. God's word is true, and it is the most precious thing in the word world. How does David respond to these facts about God's word? He responds in repentance. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Look at his question in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent 
from hidden faults. As David thinks about God's word, the justice, the, the, the reliability, the purity, the truth of it, he looks at it and he says, I can't even figure out the truth about me. I don't even know where I've messed up. I, I can't even see my own sin. Lord, I need you. See, David realizes that the first action of faith in response to God's word is repentance. Now, maybe your repentance looks a lot like David's. God, I'm not even sure what I need to repent of yet. But I encourage you, if that's all you can say, then say that. Go to him, seek him like precious gold, like honey, because he is true and he is faithfulness and he grants righteousness. The final way that God reveals himself in Psalm 19 is personally. Did you catch the shift between verses 11, uh, well, actually, verses 12 and 13? In all of the rest of Psalm 19, from verses 1 to 11 or 12, David is speaking about God. He says, God is like this. God has done this. This is the true word of God. But then in verse 13, he says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. In verse 14, he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's become personal for David. He is no longer telling us about God, but he is talking to God. That's why I invite you to do the great and most necessary response to this psalm is to stop talking about God, to stop having academic theological conversations about who God might be. Start talking to him. Go to him. He can declare us innocent of our hidden faults. He guides us. He can make us blameless. That word blameless in verse 13 is the same one we found in verse 7. Innocent. Perfect. That God declares us just. How does he do that? How, how do we, we get from a God who made creation to a God who wrote a word to us to someone we call my rock, my redeemer? Well, we already read that in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and then the Word became flesh. That God who created the universe, he became a human being. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born to a young Jewish girl. He lived, he ate, he drank. He was betrayed, and he died so that you could say, my rock 
and my Redeemer. God has revealed himself. He has spoken. Do you hear it? Are you listening? So how are you going to respond to this God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is true. It is precious. It is like gold or fine. It's everywhere. It is seen in your creation. It is seen in your word. And it is seen in Jesus Christ who lived and died for us. Lord God, many of us are like David, and we're not exactly sure even which sins we should repent of first. Lord, reveal the hiddenness of our hearts. Help us to respond in joy, in repentance, and in faith in you. Amen.